Hello everyone, welcome to Random Encounter 287 or 287. My name is John O'Logan and I am cold. Is anyone else cold? Uh, here in Toronto, after a remarkably mild winter throughout December and most of January, the weather has finally turned and now I'm just like cold all the time. Uh, but that being said, I know that I'm really lucky because while we are have, you know, really cold temperatures right now in terms of snow and ice, it's actually been pretty good. We haven't had a whole lot of it. And in many places around North America, I know that hasn't been the case. Uh, if you have been impacted by the weather and the temperatures and the snow and the ice, I wish you many hot showers and warm electric blankets. Uh, I, I have some friends who lost power for a few days, which, wow, that sucks. So I hope that for everyone out there who is currently dealing with weather, that the rest of the winter passes quickly so we can get to relatively warmer and less impactful weather in the spring. Uh, but joining us today on the show is our two people who just, who warm my heart, who make me feel not cold at all. Uh, the host of Retro Encounter, Mike Solosi. How, how has the weather been where you are? Um, it is, it, it's cold. It's been consistently below freezing, but nothing like what's going on in the American Midwest. Um, roads are fine. I'm, I'm fine. Uh, ha have not lost power, but yeah, I mean, I saw there was an American football game around a week and a half ago or so where, uh, uh, the, the including wind chill got to minus 35 degrees Fahrenheit. So yeah, we're, we're not approaching that level in, uh, uh, over on the East coast of the U S well, that's a relief. And we also have otter bowling with us today. Hello. Are you at all cold or warm or how's, how is it where you are? Um, it's cold, but tolerable, I'd say. Well, that's good. Well, let's, I, we're going to jump right in and we're going to start off by talking about a place that is much warmer and much sunnier all year round, Hawaii. Um, we're talking about Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. So uh, the reason Slosi here today is twofold. One, I can't exactly interview myself about Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth because I was reviewing the game. And uh, the review should be coming out the same day as this podcast. And uh, so that's the first reason. And the second reason is Slosi is one of the biggest Like a Dragon fans on staff. And we've been looking forward to chatting about the game for a little while now. In fact, we're going to have a spoiler cast on Retro Encounter in early March after some folks have a chance to really dig into the game. Early March might be ambitious to get through this game because holy crap. Hey, don't 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 worry about me. I've I've <laughs> I've uh, I've almost finished Dragon Quest 11 in in two in around two and a half weeks. I can manage. Oh, my God. Going from Dragon Quest 11 to like a dragon infinite wealth. That is it, it's not going to be a tone shift because, you know, like a dragon is almost a Dragon Quest game in terms of its style and mechanics. And hey, the, the year of the dragon begins in a couple of weeks, and I'm also playing Dragon Age two for the for a, uh, for the Retro Encounter podcast in about a month. And I'm I'm playing act and and there is a fourth game with Dragon in the title that I'm also playing on the side a little bit. There's I, I am I am going to be completely dragoned out for the first three months of 2024. But I couldn't <laughs> be happier because Infinite Wealth is the game I've been looking forward to the most for oh I don't know uh, a year or so for as long as I've known it, it was a 2024 game. Mm -hmm. So I am extremely pumped to play it uh, later this week. And um, because I, I was not, you know, I, I'm not able to pull any shenanigans to get an early advanced copy. Uh, and from what you've told me before the uh, before we started recording, I'm probably going to really like it. So it's uh, my, my hype has not diminished one iota. Uh, your hype should not be diminished one iota. Uh, in my opinion, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth is as good as Yakuza Like a Dragon. Uh, 
as people who listen to the show know and who you know read the reviews and stuff, uh, I was less than a big fan of Like a Dragon Gate and the Man Who Erased His Name. I I understand that some people were kinder about it than I was, but I found it to be okay. What I liked about it was, yeah, there was it was it was a bit more of a bite sized bit of yakuza. Uh, it was you know some of the some of the mini games that you love so much, and uh, you know some decent exploration around Sonobori, which you know I love that I love that fake city uh, in these games. Uh, I had some significant issues with the overall plot, some of the characterization. I will say the ending was a was just was extremely extremely touching the yeah, ending the, the ending was poignant and even even a little heartbreaking um i yeah. i i think i was uh when we last talked about gaiden on a show you had finished it and i was only a few hours in mm-hmm. um and I, I think i'm a little gentler on it than you are i think i thought it was all right but it's uh it really is like five chapters in the middle of a better yakuza game mm-hmm. and uh and 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 some some of the thing it, it like there's some good fights like um Sotenbori is still fun but there there are parts that were either off or just disappointing um and I, but but Akame is a great npc uh yeah. and uh um she's probably the highlight of the game if anything i and, don't and you disagree get, with you and you get a really sweet ending um and a final fight that has i i want to say um a, a a five shirt tear off which is which is pretty good that's you know that, a, a five shirter is uh that's that's a proper yakuza rumble well the the way i put it in the review and the way i thought about it was it's very much of a uh and now you know the rest of the story kind of game because you get to see some scenes again from yakuza like a dragon from a different perspective which is kiryu's um or sure you uh but <laughs> uh the i just i didn't like it in fact parts of it made me made me physically angry um and i was genuinely concerned going into like a dragon infinite wealth because it looked like it was going to be a direct sequel to that game and the way it was well the way it is being marketed is very much a dual protagonist situation between uh between kiryu who was the star of yakuza's one through six and man who erased his name and kasa and ichiban who is the star of Yakuza Like a Dragon. And I was very firmly on the side of, I don't want Kiryu to be the lead of this game. I don't want it to be a 50-50. I want Ichiban. I love Ichiban. I think everyone does. They One of the best things about Yakuza Like a Dragon was how they created such an incredibly compelling, a new compelling main character whose story echoed Kiryu's, but in a very in a different context a different way and the character was just such a wonderful breath of fresh air and frankly positivity um i just i I wanted him to be the main character and it looked like they were going to go the route of there were going to be two main characters in this game and that was marketing because it's not the case uh ichiban is the main character from in like a dragon infinite wealth uh yes kiryu does play a more significant role as the game continues and you know his story does push further to the front but he is a secondary protagonist in my opinion in fact during the first half of the game my first third of the game this game is so frigging packed that it's hard to actually divide it into any meaningful fraction uh kiryu is very much a party member just like any of the party members from the previous game like adashi or namba like it was getting character development and was being an interesting character but was not the focus of the show was very much a supporting 
uh, party member, which I just love because not only did it, uh, you know, we get to hang out with Kiryu again, and I like Kiryu, but we also got to see different shades of his character uh, now that he is in this situation where Kiryu has always had the problem where he is, you know, he takes everything on his back. He does everything. He is the the solo Yakuza paladin. And now he has this group around him that is supporting him. And it, it's it's really fascinating to watch how he has to adapt to that and change. Uh, so yeah, Ichiban is very much the main character of this game. And I could not be happier about that. One thing I love about uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon slash Ryugakutoku 7 is that um, it, maybe the biggest change other than combat from uh, old Yakuza to Ichiban Yakuza is the party. Like you're not mm. just one person anymore. You have a a group of seven or more people that uh, so, that are consistent. So, I mean, each, I mean, Kiryu would always have people that he met and uh, the games have great performances and great dialogue, but like giving you a whole team in uh in yakuza like a dragon felt felt like it um it, it it felt like it was more characters growing together instead of just kiryu mostly stoically reacting to everything around him mm -hmm. and um the fact that uh uh infinite wealth brings back the entire cast of yakuza like a dragon the or the entire core cast i mean some characters from like a dragon uh, uh have passed away <laughs> uh, yeah. but but the entire core cast back plus made sonhi a uh, a um full playable character and she was mm -hmm. she was a one of the most uh well-loved npcs from uh from original like a dragon uh so, yeah i agree sonhi is awesome i mean she was she was one of the highlight npcs of yakuza like a dragon and thankfully now she's a you know playable character and actually she ended up being one of my uh favorite characters uh in oh, the party nice. Can, like can I just you give, love, I just love using her. Can you give me a tease of like maybe one or two of her moves in her base class? Yeah, sure. Uh, her base class is Assassin. Um, nice. And she uses, basically she uses claws. So uh, like three spikes out of her hands uh, to slash. So her, her base oh, like, damage. Like a, like a hairpin or an ice pick, but like a couple of them? Yeah, exactly. Um, and there is a very, shall we say there's a slightly dommy aspect to her who her, her, her move set not in the uh night queen class sense but in the <laughs> in the uh she she abuses her male subordinates a lot and generally speaking they enjoy it um uh and i just i just love her and the dynamic between her and kiryu specifically is genuinely one of my favorite parts of this game i'm not going to spoil it for you oh i can't the, wait the dynamic because obviously like the organization that she is in charge of uh, has a lot of history with the Tojo clan. So there's a lot of history going on there that's going on in the background. And it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's very compelling and lovely. I just, I really enjoy it, but she's great. Um, and then there's the new characters in the game. So you're right. Like everyone from the old game is here. The entire party is back. Um, but we also have a bunch of new characters, uh, in I, the game. I before we go on, oh, everyone please. from the old game is back except for Aerie. I'm sorry, Aerie. Yes, the, she, the, the area erasure continues. Yes, although she does have a mention because you can go to you can go to uh, to the shop and oh. uh, and check in. And oh, is, is is Grandma there? Grandma's there, and apparently, uh, apparently, they are now 
trying to push into North America. So that's where she is in this game. Oh, oh, oh so they, they did exactly what they did with uh, with, with Kaoru and uh, Yakuza 3. It's like, oh, I'm going to America now. And then you never see her again until now. It may be that she may make an appearance. I don't uh, know. She was she was in a trailer, so I oh, know she was in a trailer, she, so you know. Yeah, yeah, she was in um she was in uh oh boy, I think it was called a bucket list trailer. That's yeah. uh, that was basically a montage of characters from previous games that they indicate um Kiryu will reconnect with since he's uh starting to he's starting to feel regrets and uh and stuff in his uh in his more advanced age. So they they like they're very, very deliberately like bringing in cameos for uh, fans to encounter in in what I hope are um, like interesting interactions, but uh, they are yeah, the, the the fact that I know there's a that they're deliberately going after the heartstrings of longtime fans. I say long time. I've only been playing the Oxy games for about four years, but I I, I uh, I've you know I'm I'm so deep in it now that I consider myself a true Kyodai, uh, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, oh man. Like like if this game is similar to Yakuza Like a Dragon, builds a team dynamic with that great Yakuza world design and writing and dialogue, but has Kiryu and Ichiban playing off of each other and uh all the and all the characters returning are, you know, have real roles and are and are completely back uh consigned to the background. Oh my god, that sounds like exactly the game I want. Well, the game starts out uh with the original team and the way that okay so it starts a few years after uh the end of the uh the end of uh, yakuza like a dragon the tojo clan has been uh it's it's gone now and uh ichiban has made it his mission in life to work at hello work and to help uh former yakuza reintegrate their way into society because there is a uh five-year ex-yakuza clause law which means that for five years if you have been a member of the yakuza you cannot get a cell phone plan. You it, it really restricts your ability to rejoin society. Uh, so the Yakuza, the former Yakuza, have all become outcasts, and they're desperately trying to make new lives, and they can't, which is uh, a, which is the driving force of this game in many ways. Uh, so everything's going great for all of them, actually. Adachi has started up a uh, security company. Uh, which is hiring ex Yakuza and like utilizing their expertise in terms of crime in order to uh, build security systems to prevent crime. Uh, Namba is now a medical equipment inspector. Like all, and Seiko, like her uh, her hostess bar is going great. So everyone's doing very very well. Uh, and then things start to fall apart. A YouTube channel. Uh, it's a VTuber, is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the VTuber, yeah. but essentially uh, they run a misleading expose on Ichiban, uh, claiming that he is accepting bribes and to help uh, these ex-Yakuza find illegal jobs. And basically, Ichiban gets canceled. Uh, and as a result, his friends do too because of their association with him. So all of them are now out of a job and basically back to where they were in the original game, except for Psycho, her, her uh, bar is going great, but... For reasons that I won't get into for spoilers, Psycho and Ichiban are not talking uh, for very funny reasons, actually. Um, so anyway, this this continues and uh, they're they trying to figure out, OK, who who owns this? Who owns this uh, channel? Who who is lying about us? And in the process, Ichiban discovers that apparently his mother, who he thought was dead, is actually alive and well in Hawaii. So he flies off to Hawaii to meet his mom, and 
once he's there, he uh, gets into trouble literally immediately. His cab driver, a guy named Tamizawa, uh, tries to hold him up. Uh, and then he eventually he gets away from that. And eventually he finds his way to his mom's place. And then uh, his mom isn't home, but her housekeeper, uh, Shitose, is. And uh, they drink together for a little while. And then, as you've seen in the trailer, then Ichiban wakes up completely naked on a beach where he is immediately arrested. Uh, his passport has been stolen from him, so he has no proof of who he is. He manages to escape the police uh, wearing a just, a, you know, old clothes and stuff like that, where he is found by Kiryu, who it happens to be on assignment in Hawaii. Um, and Kiryu, it turns out, is also looking for his mom, and so are the local Yakuza, and so are every criminal group in Hawaii. So you start to try to figure out, hey, what's going on here? Why, why is everyone looking for uh, Ichiban's mom? Um, and in the meantime, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of things happening in, on the other side of the world. So this is a bit of a spoiler. Uh, if you want to go in completely, you know, not knowing anything, then maybe jump ahead. But so, like I said, for the first part of the game, you're in Hawaii. That's your party, these four. And really interesting dynamic, really, really cool. I love the fact that they, for, you do play with Namba and Adachi and uh, Psycho a little bit in the first chapter, but then they go away for a while. So it really lets you develop your new relationships with your new party in this new environment. Hawaii is incredible, by the way. It's just an amazing world. Uh, Hawaii is so frigging big that I think that it pushes against the, the, the walled garden uh, into open world. It's just that frigging huge. So, so it's considerably bigger than uh, Ijin Cho Yokohama from uh, from Like a Dragon. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it is, and, and eventually things keep going. I don't want to spoil any plot because the plot here is actually pretty damn good, um, including a lot of the reasons behind uh, Kiryu and why he's there. Uh, okay, I, I mean, I, I know some of those plot details, but we don't want to go too deep into spoiler territory. I no, agree. no, no, we don't. But uh, but one thing I do have questions about, I, I do know that two of the people uh, Ichiban meets in Hawaii are two new party members, yeah. um, Chitose and Tomizawa. I, uh, I I played the demo in uh, Like a Dragon Gaiden, so I, mm-hmm. uh, I know I have a little bit of an idea of what they're like. Uh, Tomizawa is a cab driver who speaks English and Japanese, um, and Chitose is uh, also looking for uh, for Ichiban's mom, I think. Um, her her starting job is heiress, and she seems very uh she seems she seems like a like a like like a fun, uh lady, but uh, what are your impressions of Tomizawa and uh and Chitose? Because I'm I'm I mean I, I love the Yoko homies so much I can't yeah. wait to see I can't wait to see what the new uh cast interactions are like. Uh, Tomizawa is an interesting character because off the top uh is presented as a bit of a a minor antagonist. Uh, as you played the demo, I imagine that most people who are listening to this played the demo. Um, and eventually Ichiban kind of manages to convince him to come over to his side. And they, they start out with the classic, I'm not your friend, that kind of relationship. Well, Ichiban thinks he's his friend. Ichiban thinks everyone is his friend, um, because it's Ichiban, but eventually he, he thinks the best of everyone sometimes to an embarrassingly, uh, uh, bad degree. Yes, and that happens repeatedly in this game. Um, you could call him naive, but the other characters point out that, yeah, he is naive and sometimes he gets stabbed in the back, but also because of this, sometimes he makes friends with people and lasting 
lasting uh, allies that you never would have expected because of this. So it kind of all works its way. It works out in the end. Um, so Tamizawa, yeah, his, his class is taxi driver. Uh, some some interesting skills there. I, I really like the character and I really like how his friendship uh, with Ichiban develops. It's a little bit, he's kind of the new Namba. Uh, not and, not, the, and, not, and not just because he has slightly bushy hair and glasses. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's just kind of like that much more cynical he has a much more cynical worldview than ichiban as everyone does but especially like namba kind of had that role in the first where it was just he was kind of working as a counterpoint to the overwhelming positivity that is ichiban um and chitose is a character that i adored her in this game uh very conflicted very mysterious we don't know what her past is we don't know what she's doing we don't we kind of team up with her out of necessity uh and then the layers slowly get revealed as to why she is looking for uh, Akane, who is uh, uh, Ichiban's mom. And her skill sets are great. Um, and then, of course, you know, if you don't like these skill sets, there are a whole bunch of new jobs that you can explore. Um, yeah, yeah. In, in in the I mean, we, we saw a bunch of jobs in the trailers, uh, which I mean, I, I am an obsessive and I watched the trailer uh, several trailers multiple times. But mm -hmm. but in the demo, Two of the new ones that we had, there was Aquanaut, which was a uh, which was men only and looked like it was like summoning dolphins and uh, and hitting people with with surfboards and mm -hmm. uh, Samurai, which looked like uh, which was like extremely like, you know, bloody 80s movie <laughs> uh, demon mask samurai stuff. A lot of yeah. blade moves. And then uh, uh, I, I think the um, the other female job that was available was Geodancer, which is like a. Um, like a hula dancing, uh, maraca wielding, uh, like like sort of Hawaiian, uh, sand and and rain kind of magic class. Yes. Like um, so so they they are deliberately going a little weird with these jobs because in in uh, in Yakuza Like a Dragon, you you change jobs by going to the unemployment office. Hello, work. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and the jobs were things that could some of them were a little out of control like uh like you know um i don't know like, like devil rocker and fortune teller but uh, some of them were jobs that you could reasonably find in yokohama like uh con like the construction foreman and mm -hmm. uh oh what's another and 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 the and the and the chef job and stuff but these seem like you're less uh like like actually taking on jobs and more doing some completely insane cosplay it's uh the way they built into the game it's not cosplay it's vacation uh there is a vacation uh what there's a travel agency uh that ichiban comes upon and you can sign up for activities uh at this travel agency hawaiian-based activities and during these hawaiian-based activities you essentially have oh god what were they called in the earlier games where you uh, revelations you essentially have revelations uh, during these activities about types of jobs that you can uh, take on. Um, oh, so so like, do the girls take a hula dancing class and and then and that then, you know, a light bulb appears over Psycho's head or something and suddenly they can do the geodancer job? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's where the, that's where you can get all of your jobs in this and change your classes. And also without really working, some some of the more popular classes from the previous game are here too and get unlocked as you go. Uh, once you once you get back to Yokohama. Oh, that's in that's interesting. Um, yeah. Well, this is this isn't a spoiler, but I am okay. Again, going into this, uh, there are some things that we need to talk about, and one of them is 
like I said, Ichiban is the main character of the game, but how they incorporate the old party members into the game is really very smart, which is for story reasons, at some point, Kiryu has to leave Hawaii um, and he gets back to Yokohama. Once he is in Yokohama, he basically needs support. And so you get your old party back, but with Kiryu in charge instead of Ichiban. So what this does is not only do you get to explore Yokohama, which, by the way, everything, almost everything that was available in the last game is here again, but everything is recontextualized because Kiryu is now the head of the party. So, And then well, Ryu Gakutoku Studio are the absolute kings of reusing assets from game to game. So I'm, I'm not surprised that yeah. Yokohama is back and, and probably Kamurocho is also back. But uh, but yeah, no, th- this is, I mean, thumbs up. Yeah, like, like, like Kiryu... Mi- Kiryu meeting these people and exploring Yokohama on his own or, you know, with this group is very exciting to me. Well, it's very exciting for two reasons. One, because, I mean, we know these characters really well. So if we were to play it again and it's just Ichiban getting to know these characters again, for the most part, it would be be there, been there, done that. But because it's Kiryu, we get to uncover new parts of these characters and see how these new relationships develop, uh, which is really cool. And on the Kiryu character development side, something that Kiryu never really had an opportunity to do was to become friends with civilians ever. Like occasionally uh, he, he makes friends with uh, folks who are uh, not in the Yakuza. The, yeah. The, um, the go down to the local bar and make friends mini game from Yakuza six might be the only time that he gets. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and because of that, you really get to see other layers of his character uh, get uncovered. It's, it's really smart. Um, another thing that this game does very, very well is, again, I'm not going to spoil this because there are some really good turns, uh, are the villains. There are some real good villains in this game. Uh, and like most evil, horrible Yakuza villains, it is made even their, their, oh, their horribleness is increased even more because of... Uh, children are often involved oh, uh, wow. yeah there is a fair bit of child abuse in this game which you would imagine makes kiryu motivates kiryu quite a bit um because if there's anything that uh pisses off yakuza dad more it's uh it's uh the yakuza going after kids um yeah it's so let's see i i i'm positive people are going to be making this joke i'm going to be making in the, in the review uh it's it's like a dragon infinite content. There is so, <laughs> so much in this game. It's mind blowing just how much is in this game. So some of the things that I think we've seen, you've seen, like there's Crazy Eats, which is like a, a mashup of Crazy Taxi and Uber Eats. Um, there are, uh, there's a parody of Pokemon Snap where you get on the trolley in Hawaii and you have to take pictures of perverts. Right, that, uh, one, that one was in the demo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's in there. Um, the big one, though, the really, I mean, there's two big ones that we're, we're running a little long. We'll be talking about this in a few weeks and I need to get to the other game. But I would just want to mention the two things that uh, were two of the two, the two biggest side quests in the game, I would say. One, Sujimon are making a return from the first game. So Sujimon are uh, the criminals, the the degenerates, the perverts, the the the, the people that you fight. Uh, in Yakuza Like a Dragon, and you collect them and you get them in the Suji in the Suji decks, just like you would Pokemon. Uh, in this game, they just 
make a Pokemon game in it. Like it's it's a Pokemon game. There are gyms. You have to collect Pokemon and you have or Sujimon and you have Sujimon battles. You need to capture the Sujimon, train them, develop your friendships with them. Uh, it uses a similar rock, paper, scissors mechanic as Pokemon. Uh, it's a massive story. And then it even comes with its own specialized job class, Suji Master, where you can get your Sujimon to fight for you in actual battles, <laughs> which is crazy. And it's fun. And it's a, it's a good storyline. Um, well, okay. really, if, if this is anything like the monster training storyline in Dragon Quest Eight, then I will probably uh, get too involved in this and start writing online gu- guides for my friends. <laughs> I think you'll like it. Um, it takes the place of the usual, uh, uh, usual Colosseum kind of combat thing, a uh, mini game uh, with training and things like that. And the other one, which I know that you are very interested in, is uh, the business mini game. Uh, there has been a trailer about this. Basically, Ichiban finds himself on in in an almost abandoned resort uh, on a Hawaiian island, and there are there are pirates that have been polluting the island and covering it in trash. So your job is to fight the pirates, clean the trash, uh, and basically build up a five-star resort from scratch uh, on this island. And it kind of makes it into, I mean, it's basically Animal Crossing at that point. Uh, you build up your friendships, you build up relationships with the staff of the resort, and eventually you can invite guests. Uh, at first your guests are, you know, the bottom of the barrel can't really pay that much, but eventually as you gain more stars, uh, you can, you can bring in, uh, richer and more influential guests who will then tell people about your place and your place gains popularity. Um, it's a substantial amount of content. I played it for about two days, uh, just that, uh, and it's fun. Uh, it's not my favorite business mini game in the series, but it's a really, really good one. Slosi, there is so much here. It's such a massive game. Um, and I am I am very, very relieved that it's it's really, really good. It's really good. I think um I, w- I would have fallen into a minor depressive episode if this game was a major, major disappointment. Because I, I have uh I, I don't know, um I, I have I feel like I have a emotional investment in this game already because of how much i liked like a dragon i I spent a lot of 2023 uh replaying like a dragon with my girlfriend Mm -hmm. um who had and and it was her first uh um yakuza game so we're we are you know ready to dig in and play this through together and uh if it it ended up being bad i felt i feel like i it would have you know it it would have affected my whole year but uh even if i don't like it as much as you which is which is which is unlikely it's unlikely the the fact that this is broad and deep and good and satisfying uh makes me very very glad i uh i yeah i just i just want to get it in my hands uh it's 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 less than a week out and i've um i've already taken a day off work uh Mm -hmm. or uh, scheduled a day off work and it's going to be that whole weekend is going to be um is going to be infinite wealth and i am feeling infinite hype i think that you are going to enjoy the hell out of it now disclaimer here is that i only played with the japanese audio i that's just how i play yakuza Uh, i know that some people like the english audio uh i can't speak to the quality of it i expect that it's pretty good but the japanese audio fantastic just great across the board uh with one or two weird exceptions there is some there is some weird English going on here. 
because you are in Hawaii and people speak English. And I think, I can't be sure about this, but I think that they are not using the English dub even when they should, which means there are a few characters who should be native English speakers who are speaking with heavy Japanese accents. And it's weird. It's really, really weird. They don't, they don't have anything as good as Andre Richardson in, uh, in Yakuza 3. No, there's a, there's one character. It, I'm not going to tell you who it is. You'll know immediately who is just this. Uh, I'm going to use this word very intentionally, not just because I'm going to cut it out with a chocobo bleep, but because there are more instances of someone saying the word mother in this game than in any other Yakuza ever. And that's Kason because apparently Kason's catchphrase oh, yeah. is mother. Yeah, no, so no, she, 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 she's famously a, uh, she, she famously speaks crudely and incorporates English a lot into her stream. She's a, she's, I, I think she's near fluent in English. I think, well, she grew up in America, I think. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, the point, there was one character who is the most Norwegian-looking motherfucker you've ever seen, who speaks clearly Japanese that is, or English that is being read phonetically off cards, and it's really awkward. Uh, but it's it's fine. It's a, it's a minor thing. Um, uh, whatever you play it in, it's going to be a great game. It's really great. If you love Yakuza Like a Dragon, you're going to love this. If you played one through six and you know everything there is about Kiryu, you, you're going to love this because unlike, in my opinion, unlike the man who erased his name, uh, this is the epilogue. This is the epilogue of Kiryu's life done correctly. This is you get to really dive in deep and you get to see how Kiryu has influenced the lives of many, many, many people uh, that you've met over the last over those six games. And it's it's lovely and touching and really, really well written. And I really like it. Oh, there's also so much karaoke in this game. Almost everybody has at least two karaoke songs. Kiryu has like five, uh, and they're and two of them are new, including a sequel to Bakamite. I, I did see the Bakamite sequel. It's called it's called Bakadaro. Yeah, and uh, and hey, I, look, I I, re I regularly get a hundred a hundred out of a hundred on Yakuza karaoke. I'm I'm like I I played an unconscionable amount of Guitar Hero and Rock Band twenty years ago. Uh, or like maybe more like 18 years ago, but the, <laughs> there's, uh, there's but some very yeah, good songs not, here too. I'm not worried that there's a lot of karaoke. <laughs> uh, Psycho's new song might be my favorite. It's like a, it's a, it sounds like an Atlantis Morissette song. It's like a, it's like a 1990s Canadian grunge rock song and it's hilarious and it's really good. Um, but you're going to love it. You're just going to love it. I swear if you, if you do not, I will be very surprised. And this game was a massive relief to me because of how disappointed I was by the man who erased his name. And I was very much like, uh Oh, these are the people who are in charge of Yakuza going forward. Not a concern anymore. Not even slightly. I, I think the man who erased his name was an afterthought. It was originally intended to be, um, to be DLC for infinite wealth. And it was mostly developed after the core of the infinite wealth was developed. So mm -hmm. um, the man who, who erased his name was rushed was sort of an afterthought I, I think they probably expanded it to be more uh, a more acceptable as a standalone title um yeah. sometime after the initial planning stage so uh i i was a little disappointed by the man who erased his name but probably not as much as you were i'm yeah. i'm not i wasn't worried i'm i'm super pumped for this but uh i i feel bad that this has a, been a two-person conversation for 30 minutes um yeah audra um have we sold you on this game at all yes i well, the Geodancer in particular, I was like, ooh, that sounds like Geomancer. <laughs> it is. Geodancer and Pyrodancer are both, well, I mean, Pyromancer. Uh, the classes are very cleverly done uh, in these games. They're just, 
because you, they're they're classic RPG archetypes just transplanted into a modern day context. John, can you tell us one mid game or late game class that uh, you really you particularly enjoyed? Oh, that, may, that um, maybe that maybe wasn't in some of the early trailers. I really like it's not a late game class, but I really like Desperado just because it's hysterically funny. Just to have a cowboy using a toy gun with you. Oh, um, so you actually oh my get gosh. so you actually get piercing damage early in the game instead of only in a couple end game <laughs> classes. It's yeah, it, it's hysterically funny just to see like your your group, which is looking ridiculous uh, and just having an actual cowboy in the mix, like doing gun tricks with the gun as he shoots. So you'll shoot someone and then it'll like do a gun trick to put it back in the holster. It's 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 enjoyable. It's a really fun class. And there's a lot of fun animations behind it. There's a, there's some controversy going on about this game right now. I believe New Game Plus being locked behind a paywall is a significant concern that a lot of people are having. Uh, as I understand it, this is not a weird thing in Japan, but this is a weird thing with DLC in the West. Well, um, like a drag- Yakuza Like a Dragon came out in Japan something like nine or ten months before its North American release. So a lot there were a lot of DLC releases for that game that were just available from the US at launch and usually for free. Like uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, um, free costumes that came with the game, the post-game dungeon, and the option for a new game plus, I believe were DLC in Japan, um, but, uh, but were just part of the base game here. But n- now that they're having a, I think for the first time, a worldwide simultaneous release for a major tentpole Yakuza game, um, I think we're basically going to be getting the version that Japan's been getting for several years, which means probably more nickel and diming DLC, which <laughs> is not uh, not a uh, I'm, which I'm not trying to hand wave or endorse here. That's just an observation. Um, yeah, and there is it's it, that's not in question. Uh, hopefully, I mean, I don't I loved it. I don't want to play it again. It's just too frigging much. Uh, but. I am a little annoyed that there are classes because, I mean, we had we had a review copy of it, so I didn't get any of the DLC with it. I might buy some in the future if I can. Uh, there are classes that are locked behind DLC. They are uh, pre-order bo- bonuses. Um, the, the classes are pre-order bonuses. So if you okay. get if you get it, uh, if you get a new copy in the first few weeks, you'll you will get the tennis ace and linebacker classes. Yeah, I am totally not going to do that, but it is uh, I'm not disappointed by the amount of content I got with this game. At all. I am had such a good time. I'm celebrating my favorite football team, the Baltimore Ravens, winning a couple <laughs> days ago. So I am going to put Ichiban in the linebacker class and just tackle some fools. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's it's great. I Bottom line, it's great. Uh, really, I was looking forward to it. It lived up to my expectations perfectly. And I am thrilled to death that I got a chance to talk about this. And I can't wait to talk about it on Retro in about a month or two. That's going to be that's going to be fun. Um, well, I'm going to pivot away now from uh, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth to something that's in a very different genre. And uh, it's Audra's game. And uh, first, OK, I need to put a disclaimer here. Uh, the game we're talking about is Little Guardsman. And uh, it's a point and click adventure game with a key gameplay component that's very, very similar to Papers, Please. Uh it's, you know, cartoony. It looks good. Very obviously inspired by some classic LucasArts adventure games. The disclaimer is that I am very, very good friends with some of the people who are behind this game. Uh, one of the founders of the company, 
Uh, and the composer of Little Guardsman is Scott Christian, who I've worked with many, many times in the Toronto music theater scene. And one of the writers and a voice actor in it is Jeremy LaPalm, who I went to school with for music theater at Sheridan College well over a decade ago. Uh, they are both very close friends. So obviously, I was not going to be reviewing Little Guardsman. That would have been a significant conflict of interest. However, the game is very much within our coverage as a point-and-click adventure game, and frankly, I'd be pushing for a review of it anyway, because it's exactly the type of adventure game that I love. So Audra reviewed it. Uh, I don't think I need to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway because of my relationship. I had absolutely no input into her opinion of the game, the text of the review. We are very specific here at RPG Fan that while I'm the review manager, the reviews are the reviewer's opinions. Here, all of that said... I genuinely really, really enjoyed Little Guardsman. I thought it was an excellent adventure game. It did some very, very smart things with merging in similar gameplay from Papers, Please. Frankly, it's a much less stressful game to play than Papers, Please, which is yes. so stressful to play. Um, and it's damn funny. It actually has a heart behind it. And it feels, I mean, it's a great concept for a game. It feels like a great concept for an animated series, actually. Uh, with all of that in mind, Audra, how did you enjoy Little Guardsman? I quite liked it. I thought it did have a lot of heart to it, and I it had some moments that were having me laughing out loud mm -hmm. as I was playing, and yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It brought to mind kind of the writing of Gravity Falls, which to me is high praise. Yeah, uh, art style too. Yeah. Art style too. The art style actually reminded me a lot of another animated series that I, I adore called Over the Garden Wall. Um, oh, yeah. It, it resembled that. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about Little Guardsman? Okay, well, Little Guardsman stars Lil, who's a 12-year-old girl who um, her dad decides that he's going to kind of pawn off his job on her as a guardsman for at least just one day because he wants to play, play some bets on a goblin ball. <laughs> and so she's like, okay, whatever, I'll do it if it's just this one time. And so she ends up having to guard this doorway into the magical kingdom of Sprawl from all these different people that are trying to seek entry into it. And it turns out it ends up becoming something that she ends up doing for quite a while after that, much to her reluctance. She gets pulled into it by the, the leaders of the Sprawl discover that they, they believe they can manipulate a 12-year-old girl better than an actual adult man. So they kind of put her in the position where she has to work because there are no child labor laws here. Yes. Yeah, I kind of love that they keep reiterating that about the child labor laws. I do too. And I just love the fact that she is constantly being confronted with these life and death scenarios. And her reaction is always like, I'm 12. <laughs> yeah. Why am I doing this? Um Despite the fact that it is a, uh, it is a very much a, you know, it, it's a comedy. It's a very funny comedy, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I enjoyed about this game was that there are actual serious issues being discussed here, uh, not just in terms of uh, the storyline, but also in terms of the relationships between characters, like the relationship between Lil and her dad. Oh, yeah, I love the relationship between her and her dad, because it kind of, at first, you almost are like, is he just using her to get away for a from his work and stuff. And then they end up having that they have this really touching father-daughter bond later that I really liked. And I, I mean, the too. whole, the the plot that they later go into with the war is actually really well done. Yeah, it is. the uh, As the storyline continues, 
like it's I, I like how the storyline develops in this game because you're not getting especially at the first you're not getting a complete picture of what's going on because you are just letting people into the kitchen or deny letting people into the kitchen <laughs> letting people into the kingdom or uh, denying them entry and your choices will uh, impact how the game develops and how the storyline develops uh, as there are two suitors for the princess of the sprawl and you have the decisions that you make uh, help you know, develop how the storyline un unfolds and basically who marries her. And then a war can start because of these responses. And then uh, the storyline will take a, a bit of a shift after that point as more responsibilities are put on Lil as the uh, gatekeeper. Uh, I think that the way that they, for lack of a better word, gamified the point-and-click adventure game is really clever because most point-and-click adventure games, especially LucasArts, it's very much uh, rub one item against another item until you hear ding. Uh, whereas here, there is a gamification of it uh, because of the tools that you can use in the guard's uh, house and the star system, uh, which grades you on how you did in the interview. Yeah, I actually, I really love the... Um... The way they have like the ability, the limited number of the actions that you can take during a game, it really makes you think strategically about what you want to try to do to reveal the truth. What are they? Oh, um, well, you can interrogate people, which is basically just talking to them, and then you can decide if you trust them or if you're going to throw kind of shade on that what they're saying about mm -hmm. their reasoning for being there. And depending on that, they'll actually react differently depending on how you approach that. Then you can um, metal detect or x-ray scan them. Yeah. There's a truth spray, which is always helpful, or usually always helpful, except with some monsters. Except with some monsters. I found the truth spray, the truth spray rarely ever, okay, so the way this is done is you usually deal with about, I'd say, five people coming to the gate per level. And oftentimes your interview in one of, of one of those people can later impact another one based on the decisions you make. You might get an item, uh, for example. Uh, you might confiscate something from them that you can use in a later interview. Or uh, also, like you said, the, the various tools that are provided to Lil, which you have a limited number of uses. And you really do have to, I guess, try, try again to try to get your best results. Uh, and the way you do that is through the Chronometer 3000. Yes, they have a convenient time travel device <laughs> that just so happens to fall into Lil's hands and then she can only use it at the guard shed. Yes. Um, and by doing so, you can restart a conversation with one person or you can go back to the very beginning of it. Mm -hmm. And the, it's there are game overs in this game. Like it's not it's not the LucasArts oh, Adventure yeah. game thankfully it doesn't go the Sierra model where you're like sent back to your last save point. Uh, but you can, you can end the game based on the decisions that you make. Yeah. I had a few game overs a couple times that were <laughs> one of them, was someone threw a Molotov cocktail at me. <laughs> so I was like, that came dark. That became dark real quick. <laughs> yes, it did. Um, the there's another part of the game which is also uh, an exploration of the sprawl which is this is much more the point and click adventure game style so once you leave the guards shed you can explore the sprawl and visit various locations meet various characters um which part of the game did you prefer did you prefer the guard shed or the uh exploration uh, i think i liked both i probably liked the exploration more because you get to see how you're 
decisions at the guard shed impacted like which characters you'd meet mm-hmm. and what would happen to them and stuff. So I'd probably say the exploration more. I mean, another way that works is the the sprawl is okay. I'm not. It's very much in line with like Monkey Island in the sense that yeah, it's technically a period piece where this is a medieval society, but also they have modern conveniences. They it's it's a it's a magical place that kind of is midway between uh, medieval times and the present. Yeah, like she has her boy band that she likes. <laughs> yes, yes. And there's like television sets and there's technology, but it's all run mm-hmm. by crystal. Um, and it creates a very uh, absurdist world, uh, and which lends a lot of opportunities for humor. Uh, out of curiosity, did you have any uh, anyone who comes to the guard shed who was a particular favorite? Scary Tree Monster. <laughs> yes, Scary Tree Monster. And I think that actually is his name. <laughs> but he was pretty hilarious, especially when he was like, bureaucracy! <laughs> um, Welp. I ended up really feeling bad for Welp, but then I sort of thought that, that was just hilarious mm. when they went into his storyline with his master. Yes, they... Uh... They explore a slightly uh, a slightly house elf esque relationship between a miser and his goblin uh, uh, servant. Yeah, and that was that was pretty good. And um, the va- vampire, I want to say his name was. Yeah, the one who was very obviously a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> but it's rude to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal favorite and was an early addition, and it's because I am a music theater fan. Was Chloe. Uh, uh, I loved Chloe too. Yeah. Ah. Chloe is a, I mean, God, God help me. Uh, like I said, Scott Christian, uh, who is a composer, he is a, he has written many really excellent Canadian musicals and he just writes a Disney princess song uh, into one of the characters uh, and then subverts it beautifully. It's very, yes. very funny. Yeah. She goes, I love how Lil's like, well, that went dark real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, out of curiosity, what were your thoughts about the uh, the music and I guess the sound design in general? So also voice acting. I thought the voice acting was really well done. I really genuinely love the voice acting. I like the music and the sound effects too. I Beyond the Chloe singing though, I didn't really think that there was much that it just, it really fit the atmosphere. Mm. I was delighted by the voice acting because not just because I know Jeremy very, very well, uh, but also because the cast is Canadian. I'm like, yeah, Canada, (laughs) which to be fair is another reason why I'm so excited about this game. It's not just the fact that I know two of the people behind it. It's the fact that it's a Canadian point and click adventure game that has uh, a high amount of polish on it. That makes me, that makes me very, very proud because as we talked about on the last episode, uh, when I was talking to when I was talking to uh, Jerry, um, <laughs> when I was talking to Jerry, and uh, I was like, I don't think Americans quite understand what it's like when you discover something that you think is American, but it actually turns out to be Canadian. I don't think Americans get that. Where we're like, yeah, and it's not just Canada; it's like any country in the world when you discover that something is developed within your country, but it seems like it should be American and it's not. It gives you this little burst of like, yeah, pride. So that this is a Canadian uh, point-and-click adventure game makes me very, very happy. I, I felt a somewhat dim- less amount of pride than that, but still some pride when I discovered that there is a Hungarian Metroidvania game in development right now uh, coming out in 2024. 
uh, as as the ooh. as the great grandson of Hungarian immigrants, I'm like, ooh, all, all right, all right, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I'll pre-order that thing. It's, it's called Mandragora, by the way. Ooh, Mandragora. That sounds neat. Yeah. Uh, Audra, I was curious. I played it on PC. Uh, you played it on Switch. How was the performance? I really liked it on the Switch. I put it on my Switch Lite and played it while I was pet sitting and had a fun time with it. Yeah, I will say that even. Even for the Switch, it doesn't exactly, uh, it won't exactly give, the, the graphics don't give it a workout, let's put it that way. Oh, no. No, I mean, it looks really nice, but it's not going to be like a graphic powerhouse. No, as you say, it's reminiscent of a 90s animated show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not going to, you're not going to experience any slowdown, no crashes, anything like that. At least you shouldn't. The loading was great. That's terrific. Um, one of the things that really is great about this game, I think, is the amount of, I mean, when we talk about RPGs, we talk a lot about player choice, and that's one of the limiting factors in most point-and-click adventure games because uh, usually, especially in LucasArts games, there is they want to tell a story. They're going to tell a story. And while you might have four dialogue options to choose from, generally speaking, they're all the dialogue options are your choice of joke. It doesn't actually have an impact on the story, whereas uh, there is... The impact on the story here is significant. Like you, there are various endings, and not just for like the end game. Like at the end of every chapter, you get like a little, uh, uh, the little epilogue for each. Yeah, character. you get a little. You get a little epilogue for each character and what happens to them after they leave the uh, after they leave the guards gate. Uh, and sometimes the the bad options are actually even funnier than the good ones, especially in one case for the werewolf. Oh yeah. I, f- I think I did the werewolf in the how you were the correct way, and I was like, "Oh, that seems kind of sad." <laughs> that that that's that's very papers please because I mean I mean papers please is a much bleaker game than this. Oh where, my god, where so you're, <laughs> Yeah, where where you're basically at a at the border control of a nation that is. Uh, I I I don't want to say what their political uh, affiliation is, but in, in a, in a troubled political climate, it ain't a democracy. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, so like the people you're letting in and out, it's like, well, you want to put, let in this struggling refugee family, but their, uh, but their papers aren't in order. So do you do the lawful neutral thing and, and cast them out? Or do you do the neutral good thing and try to get them in, but maybe have negative consequences from that? It's like, like it, there was a lot of sort of moral choices and uh, or like morals versus legal choices and uh, and a lot of outcomes that were either unexpected or just very unpleasant, even even when you do try to do the right thing. So I'm not surprised that a game that's inspired by Papers, Please, but with a sort of a more comedy uh, and more stylish bent to it is going to have those epilogues or endings be sometimes very funny, sometimes subversive and maybe sometimes fulfilling expectations where they turn out good when you do the good thing like like um this sounds like a group of people that love lucas arts games um a certain certain eras of cartoons um games with a lot of choice and a lot of narrative flexibility and just tried to make a game exactly to their tastes and uh it sounds like it's awesome like I'm, like this is a very very fast w- fast wish list for me yes it's a very enjoyable game <laughs> I really, really liked it. Incidentally, I like Paper Please, Papers Please too, but like you said, Slosi, it's one of those games, and there was a there were a number of them a few years ago. This War of Mine is another one where it is 
you are making the hard choices. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 a freaking downer, is what you're talking about. This war of mine is, uh, oh yeah, it, 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 you, it's, it's a rough one. <laughs> well, everyone's a hero until they can't be. And the nice thing about Papers Please is it does put you in the role of genuinely what it would feel like to be a a member of that kind of society where you want to do the right thing. You want to be able to uh, allow these people in. But at the same time, if you do, you're not going to get paid. If you don't get paid, your family starves. Like it's heart-wrenching because the choices that you make have severe consequences either for the country or for yourself and your family. And that's what War of Mine does as well. And uh, Little Guardsman doesn't quite do that. There is the idea that you get paid based on how you do, but chances are Lil's not going to starve. Uh, if you get a, if you, if you fail, like if you get a below two star rating, I believe you get a game over, but that just resets you back to the beginning of this, mm-hmm. of the, uh, that day. Yeah. It's a very kind of forgiving game loop, I think. Yeah. It, it's not trying to make you feel like crap. It's trying to make you laugh. And it does. I mean, even when you kind of make a bad decision in the one like the little goblin kid's like, I'm going to go knife an old person. <laughs> and she's like, my God, what have I done? I mean, nope. it's more comedic than it is, especially when you read the epilogue about what happened after he did that. And I am very glad that this game got released, to be honest. This isn't even due to my relationship with Scott, uh, but like their publisher versus evil uh, was and this was a massive story was shut down by their parent company tiny build the day before christmas um that would have been terrifying to be in those to be in that position where your game is going to be released in a month and then your publisher is shut down like mm-hmm. wow um and that is unfortunately uh the current reality of the business uh, and we'll actually pivot to the discussion question off of that um Anyway, the, the bottom line is you really enjoyed Little Guardsman. It was a delight. I'm really glad you did. I did too. Um, so we were talking, I was just mentioning, uh, you know, layoffs in the industry. Uh, there's a general opinion out there that 2023 was a banner year for video games. Uh, while there were a tremendous amount of layoffs, uh, incredibly tragic layoffs in the industry, there was also an incredible number of games released, incredible games. And that's partially because Finally, the backlog of in-development games that were delayed due to COVID over the last few years finally made its way through. They finally got released. Uh, So we got a treasure trove of video games in 2023. With that in mind, now that that backlog is uh, cleared out, I guess, well, at least for the developers, my backlog has grown considerably. Um, Do you think that 2024 is going to be much more of a I'm, I'm, I'm going to say let down year. I don't necessarily mean that like in a disappointing year. I just mean in like an exhale kind of year now that we're going to be getting back on a more normal release schedule, theoretically anyway. Uh, a hesitant yes. I, I think that there will be um, sort of fewer uh, uh, like top tier, top of uh, like um, top of your wish list games coming out in 2024, only because 2023 was just unusually strong in terms of video game products and releases. But uh, so I, I think that just 2024 being a little less than 2023 is logical, even though there's going to be excellent games coming out uh, this year, even ones that I don't know exist yet or aren't on my radar radar yet. Uh, but I, I think that um, all these layoffs are troubling. Um, it, it, probably not this year, but 
in we'll feel the echo of it or the the ripple of it a few years down the line where mm. uh there there just there isn't as much mid-tier and high-tier development probably there's more uh use of ai in video game development um uh, like the yeah. the indie the indie scene will have struggles and successes uh that are impossible to predict but that will but will still happen i think but uh, i i feel like um the big budget games and mid budget games will uh suffer a few years down the line when the talent drain from these layoffs is very evident. I don't know mm. if it's going to I don't know if I'm predicting a well, okay, I, I'm not predicting a video game industry crash like no. uh like the one in the, in 8384 whenever that one was. But the uh I, I think there is going to be a restructuring and a lull and uh and then eventually when um when things are a little more se- settled the industry will grow more again and un- until it's ready for another realignment, which is a little sad and cynical, I guess. But um, I think that 2024 is going to be a very good year for video game releases, maybe not as good as 2023, but there are uh, some some important negative conclusions to uh, the recent layoffs. And um, I mean, I mean, people just having a company shut down the day before Christmas is, mm. is, is, uh, it's almost like, it's it's almost poetic or like Dickensian uh, thing, like tra- a tragic thing to happen to someone trying to earn money for themselves and their family, but yeah. it's, it's it just happened too much too much the past several months to not be uh, part of the narrative here. It it really did, um, and partially this is not the only reason why. Partially why there might be some layoffs is because uh, this backlog of in development games finally ended. These games were released, and generally layoffs do tend to hit after games are released uh teams get smaller the demand isn't there anymore so they let go of some of their employees that is in my mind irresponsible due to irresponsible hiring practices um but that might be one of the reasons and there could be this is not a positive there could be the silver lining is some of these folks who were laid off uh they could start developing their own games uh, and we could see their talents being put to use creating uh, brand new experiences in the indie sphere or even double a gaming. Um, that being said, it's just, it's just heartbreaking to see folks lose their jobs in an industry that I agree with you, Solosi. I don't think it's possible for the video game industry as it currently exists to experience a crash in the same way that it did in 1983. No, yeah, I, it's I, impossible. I, it'd be like saying that it'd be like saying the film industry or television is going to experience a crash. There will be downturns, absolutely, uh, where you know th- there is less product being created. Uh, but the idea that they're going to it's going to disappear. The industry at this point is just too big, and I don't mean that in too big to fail. I mean that the demand is there. People play video games in the same way that they consume music or play watch television or watch movies like it's yeah i, I, mean, I think it, it's, i think video impossible. game i think demand for video games is as high or higher than ever like like um even um during uh, uh uh during quarantine times people were buying and playing more video games um so like it's not an issue of demand it's an issue of just the structure of uh triple a and double a development not mm-hmm. uh, like putting in too much money, not getting enough money back because of mistakes or misaligned expectations, and then companies shutting down because of it, and uh, and venture capital doing crazy things like like Embracer Group, which is a European 
company with an with a reputation for buying smaller companies and then having them shut down two years later they embrace um, you whether you want them to or not yeah exactly no, you listen to some video game podcasts i i understand uh but uh <laughs> but um like I, I think that irresponsible practices like that need to slow down and if that does happen the game industry resettles again i think it will experience growth um in the future but right now it is uh it, it is being realigned and it, we're gonna have some disappointing years and months in the future, but probably not soon. I think 2024 is good. Uh, we're, all the games coming out into 2024 were mostly developed in years prior anyway. Mm. Uh, so, but we're, we're going to feel the effects of these, um, of these layoffs in the future for sure. It's, it's, you, you, you can't ignore it or say things are fine. You don't want to no. be yeah, the, I, uh, you don't want to be the dog in a burning house meme. Yeah. I think the, um, the repercussions are going to be felt for a while. Yeah, and they will. But that being said, I don't think 20, like you said, I, I don't think 2024 is going to be a bad year. I think it's just going to be a maybe a year of realignment, which has which happens sometimes. It happens in every industry. Uh, and it's not like there aren't big games being released. I mean, we've just talked about like a, Dra or, uh, like a dragon, infinite wealth. Now a Final Fantasy seven uh, rebirth comes out in a few weeks. Uh, so like big stuff is coming out and it's going to be a big year for games regardless, because that's the industry now. Tekken 8. <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak to that because I don't play fighting games. I know two people here do. Well, uh, like I said, 2023 is over. And with that meant that our 25th anniversary here at RPG Fan ended. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the party is entirely over. You can still get some 25th anniversary merch at our shop, which is www.rpgfan.com slash shop. Uh, it's going to be going fast, so if you want some, I would pick it up now. But the thing you want to pay attention to on the shop is the book. So I mentioned this, and I think we've been mentioning this on the last few podcasts uh, in general, but it's a big, big deal. Uh, RPG Fan released our first book, and this is a uh, review card collection. Uh, Steph uh, has been for the last few years, designing uh, essentially cards, review cards that kind of summarize all of our reviews. And uh, we've partnered up with Hyperplay RPG and we put them all in a book. And it is a really, really cool book. I have one on my shelf. I uh, highly recommend you check that out. So if you want to check that out, it's www.rpgfan.com slash shop. I am featured in it. Audra is featured in it a lot because Audra writes an <laughs> ungodly amount of reviews. I think I've only written six or seven reviews for the site ever, but I am also featured in it. Yeah. So support us. Yay. Uh, another way to support us is to check out past episodes of Random Encounter. Uh, last week, we took a look at two games that were interesting experiments in narrative structure, Slay the Princess and Planet Laika. Uh, unfortunately, I, don't, I did mention this in the episode because it happened after the episode. We had some significant technical issues during the recording uh, last episode, which meant that we lost half of the episode. Um, and that was tragic because first off the original conversation we had about planet like it was one of the most off the rails episodes of random encounter I've ever done. It was, I can't even remember half of what we talked about. It was weird. I really liked it. That being said, the final slightly re-recorded episode was a lot more focused on the game, which is actually a positive. So if you listen to the last episode and you thought, wow, there's some weird audio stuff going here with some different audio levels and sounds like they're in different locations and lots of other things. That's why. Uh, but we are not the only podcast here at RPG Fan. We also have Retro Encounter, uh, hosted by our own Mr. Mike Solosi. Solosi, the big story here is that you released 
episode 400. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Right. So, uh, yeah, we had episode 400 uh, launched last week. It's myself and four others as a panel of five listening to 12 pitches from RPG fan staff past and present and then uh, reacting and bidding on those pitches like an episode of Dragon's Den slash Shark Tank. And uh, and the, the winning pitches were um, uh, c- collected into, I, I believe it was seven finalists. And then the, those seven are in a poll, which at the time of uh, posting this, you can still vote on. I think we are going, I am going to close the poll on the morning of the 26th because I'm going to be no longer interested in polling and only interested in playing like a dragon infinite wealth. Uh, <laughs> so if you, if you go to the, uh, uh, if you go to retro encounter on rpgfan.com and uh, in the episode 400 description, there should be a link to the poll. Uh, but over the, that episode is basically just under two hours of us listening to um, uh, ideas for episodes on 12 different games and then picking the ones we like best. Uh, and yeah, it was really fun to record. Um, I think there's technically 17 people credited on that episode. It's quite <laughs> because, a list. Yeah, because it's a, it's the five panelists plus the 12, uh, the 12 entrepreneurs. And, um, yeah, it was, it, I think it turned out very well and it was a lot of fun to do. So, uh, please listen to that episode or, and even if you don't go ahead and vote on that poll. Yeah, it was, I had, I was one of the people who made a pitch and it was a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, please vote in the poll, please vote for my game, uh, because I'd really like an excuse to play it. Um, we also have rhythm encounter, which is RPG fans music podcast. Last week was build your own RPG soundtrack where the panel, uh, distilled down all of the elements of an RPG soundtrack to title overworld town battle dungeon, emotional final boss and ending. And then they built their own soundtrack. Uh, so really, really cool idea, cool conceit. So I recommend checking out that episode. If you want to hear what I guess would be the ideal RPG soundtrack. If you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can fire us off a message at podcast at rpgfan.com. I would absolutely adore hearing from you. Uh, If you have any ideas for future episodes or discussion questions, anything at all you'd like to share. If you have any questions about anything I've mentioned on this episode, please fire me off a message. Uh, If you'd like to send me a personal email, you can do so at jloganrpgfan.com. You can also find me on Mastodon at johnologan at mastodon.social. I'm not the only person with a social media presence here. I understand that many social media presences have changed. So, Lucy, where can we now find you online? Uh, you can find me at Evoker for Dogs on Instagram and Blue Sky. Or on RPG Fans Discord, I am called Evoker for Dogs. Cool. And Audra? Audra B at RPGFan.com. Awesome. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends to help us get the word out there. You can rate us on iTunes, your other podcast player of choice, and you can leave us a review. And that would be very, very helpful if you would like to uh, just jot down a few thoughts about the podcast. That'd be really, really cool. Uh, Solosi, Audra, again, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, both of these games meant a lot to me on this episode for very different reasons. So I appreciate you both coming on and uh, just chatting with me for a while about them. I had a really good time. Hello, hang loose, bro. Aloha. Yeah. You shall pass. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to everyone out there listening, whatever you're playing, have fun.